Our text this morning is from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. If you have your Bible or your app, you can pull it up. It'll also be on the screen behind me. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Is the words of Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, for they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he is a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the reading of God's Word. Well, good morning, everyone. It's such a joy for me to be here with you as we worship the Lord together. Uh, My name is David, and I am a member here at Doxa Church, and I'm a church planter with the North American Mission Board and Harbor Network. Uh, We are actually just a few months away from making our move to the Boston area to plant a church. It's worth worth celebrating what the Lord's done, for sure. Um, Really, it should be a really smooth and easy summer for us. Uh, We're going to add a fourth child to our family. We're going to sell our house. We're going to move to one of the most expensive areas of the country, almost a thousand miles away, and plant a new church where almost no one wants a new church. So, it... It really should be a relatively stress-free summer for us. Now, I I mention that to you because we need your prayers. We continue to need your prayers and your support. And you all have been so faithful in that area. And I just want to say thank you. The Lord, he's using your prayers to make a difference. I could tell story after story after story that we've already seen in the Lord answering prayer. And we haven't really even begun yet. So... Thank you for praying. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And this church plant, it really, 
It doesn't make any sense to our family and our friends who don't know Jesus. I've, I've used the illustration for some of them. It makes more sense for us to say, we're going to plant or start a colony on the moon than to plant a church. They understand that more than what it means to plant a church. But we actually have a great deal of confidence as we think about what the Lord might do in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And it's not because we have confidence in ourselves. We have no, no confidence in ourselves, trust me. But we have total confidence in him and what he's going to do. Um, to be totally dependent on the Lord, it's both terrifying and it's exhilarating. But it is a wonderful place to be. I also want to mention that July 9th, that will be our last service, our last Sunday here at Doxa before we take off. And really, this is going to be a sending service for our family, for Phil Naparella, who is moving to be part of the work with us. Uh, and we're, we're being sent by the members of Doxa Church for the work of church planning. I think you all understand that. I've tried to stress that. This is something that we're all doing together. And everyone here has a, a, a role in what we're doing in some capacity. And I know we're a couple months away, but I just want to mention that to you now in the month of May because it would really mean a lot to us if you all would be here. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us now. And I just want to remind you, this really is a time for us to pray together. We want to seek the Lord and his face as a congregation before we open the scriptures. Um, and we're going to pray for all different kinds of things. Um, and I'm going to lead in that. But please pray in your own way as I'm leading. So let's, let's go to the, uh, the Lord together in prayer before we seek him in his word. Let's pray together. Father, it is in you that we find our refuge and our strength. You are our rock and our fortress. You lead and guide us. You uphold us by your righteous right hand. As a church, we acknowledge we are nothing without you. We are lost without your word and your spirit leading us. We are without direction unless you go before us. We need you to lead us, Lord, both individually and as a church. We pray that you would remove from us an I-can-do-it attitude and replace it with a humble dependence on you. Thank you that you have redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Once we were lost, looking for a place to belong, and now... Through you, Jesus, we have entered into the family of God. Help us to look to you for our identity and our significance. You have called us by name, and we belong to you. We pray that you would rain down the gospel on each and every one of us. Our souls, Father, they need a daily gospel rain shower. So I pray this morning that you would flood our hearts with the gospel. We pray for those who are tired and weary and just worn out. I pray they would experience soul rest today. Teach us to listen to your voice and your truth. Help us to obey even when it's difficult and give us endurance to run the race you've set before us. God, I pray that you would, you would wake up sleepy Christians that are in our midst today. 
Pull them back from the distractions and the temptations of this life. Remind us, God, that our lives are a mist. We are here today and we are gone tomorrow. I pray, we pray, that you would help us to live in light of eternity. We also lifted those who are being baptized shortly after this service. We have prayed that baptisms would become a regular part of our life together as a church. And you are, you're answering this prayer. So we pray for Matt, Elijah, Silas, Reese, Luke, and Zach. Help our church to come around them and help them as they live out this new life in Christ. Protect them from the whispers of the enemy that are sure to be there in the coming weeks and days. Thank you that there is true life, eternal life, found in the name of Jesus. And we praise you that these individuals have responded to the call of your voice. God, I thank you for uh, the women's ministry here at our church. And we, we lift up the women who are at the Women of Joy conference right now. We ask that these women would leave this conference and come back um, encouraged, strengthened in their faith. Let them come back energized and excited. We thank you for all that you're doing through that ministry. And now as we, we open our Bibles, we continue in worship. God, we pray that the scripture would come alive. Speak to us in a very real way through your word. Give us, give us, Lord, a supernatural ability to focus on you, to not be distracted. Your sheep are listening to your voice, Lord Jesus. Give us ears to hear, and eyes to see all that's in this passage. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I still remember the first time as a little kid that I got separated from my parents. I'm sure this wasn't actually the first time, but this is, this is the first case that I remember this happening to me. I'm somewhere around the age of six, six, seven, eight, somewhere in there, and I'm on a trip to, I'm actually at the grocery store with my mom and my little brother. And I don't remember all the details, I'm just a little kid, but I'm probably fighting with my brother about something, maybe trying to sneak some Oreos into the cart when mom's not watching, up to some mischief, I'm sure. I don't, I don't remember exactly what was going on, but the next part remains crystal clear in my mind. I look up, and I don't see my mom anywhere. I don't see my brother anywhere. I'm alone on this grocery aisle. And immediately, a deep sense of dread falls over me. Maybe you've had a similar experience like this when you were a kid. I, the, the mind starts racing. Did my mom forget about me? Did she leave me in the grocery store to fend for myself? Well, now I'm, I'm starting to panic a little bit. I can feel the tears start to well up in my eyes. I'm looking around, no sign of my mom, no sign of my brother. I still remember this almost 30 years later. I'm facing one way in the grocery aisle, and all of a sudden, I hear the voice of my mother calling me. David, I turn around, and immediately, the fear, the panic, the sense of an impending doom is gone. All is right again in my six, seven, eight-year-old little world when I hear the voice of my mother. Well, we're back in the book of John this morning, and we're looking at the first half of chapter 10 that Randy 
read for us. And in this passage, among other things, we're going to see the glory of the shepherd's voice. And there's a couple of things I need to point out to you just so you know where this passage fits in the Gospel of John. John 10, 1 to 21 is part of the story that we saw two weeks ago when we looked at chapter 9. If you were with us, you might already see how this is sort of connecting. But real quickly, let me remind you what happened there. This is the story where Jesus heals a man who has been born blind. And Jesus spits on the ground and he anoints, which is a really interesting way of putting that. He anoints the man's eyes with mud and then he tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man goes, he washes the mud off of his eyes and he receives his sight. Now after Jesus does this, the Pharisees, who those are the religious leaders of the Jews, they get pretty angry. You see, Jesus, he healed a man on the Sabbath. And that was a big no-no in the eyes of the Pharisees. They didn't understand the purpose of the Sabbath, and they failed to see the significance of what is actually happening here. Well, chapter 9, it ends with the man Jesus healed being thrown out of the temple because of his testimony, and he actually ends up worshiping Jesus as the Messiah. And at the same time, Jesus, he makes an indictment against the Pharisees. And what Jesus says He basically says that the Pharisees have a spiritual blindness about them. Look at the last two verses in chapter 9. I just want you to see this so you understand how everything fits. Starting in verse 40, it says, Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. The Pharisees, they see what's transpiring here, but they don't really see what's actually happening. They miss what Jesus is doing. And because of this, they're blind. So this, that's real quick, that's the backdrop of what is leading into what Jesus says in chapter 10. All of this fits together. You have to see the whole picture if you're going to get that. There's a strong connection that John is making in the way he orders this. Because the Pharisees are blind leaders, they are misleading. They're really fake shepherds. And in our passage, we find Jesus using symbolism and metaphor to make a much larger point. And he's using imagery here that I I feel pretty confident that everyone in here is familiar with. And that is first century sheep farming methods. (laughs) Who doesn't remember that class from high school, right? Let's read the first five verses here again, and I'll show you what I mean. I want you to have this right in front of you. Let's read it. Jesus says, truly, truly, which means pay attention to what I'm getting ready to say. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus, 
He's giving us a picture here. He's using a metaphor to communicate a profound truth. In some ways, this is similar to how we might understand a parable in one of the other Gospels. It's not the same, but there's some similarities there. And if we're able to see what Jesus is saying, it makes it all beautiful and even all the more beautiful and amazing when we arrive at the truth here. So imagine, if you will, a large pen, a sheepfold with different flocks belonging to different uh, different shepherds, and they're there and they're sheltered for the night. And this sheep pen, it would have one door there at the front. There's one way in and there's one way out. And the pen would be guarded by a gatekeeper. So you've got, just so you've got it, there's a bunch of different flocks sheltered for the night. They're in the same pen. They're being guarded by a gatekeeper. And in the morning, what would happen is the shepherds would come to the gate and they would collect their sheep. Now, I don't know how much time you all have spent around sheep. I've spent very little time, but I have been around them enough to make this what I would consider an astute observation. They all look exactly the same. It's virtually impossible to tell them apart. So instead of putting some kind of mark on the sheep or branding the sheep or something like that, the shepherds would do something pretty interesting. They would actually name their sheep. So a shepherd would come up to the sheep gate and the sheep pen in the morning, and he would call his sheep by name, collecting them into his flock. It was through the call of the voice of the shepherd that the sheep respond to the shepherd. Now, here's another big thing we need to understand about the metaphor Jesus is using here. You might have already caught this as we read the passage. Not only does the shepherd use his voice to call his sheep to him, but he also leads the flock using his voice. You see, it's imperative for a sheep to know the voice of their shepherd. Because not all shepherds are good. Not all shepherds care for the sheep. So here's, what's, here's what we've got so far. Jesus, using the shepherding imagery, he's told us there are good shepherds and there are bad shepherds. There are those who care for the flock and there are those who steal from the flock. Now, we've read the whole passage, so we already see this. The people who are initially hearing what Jesus is saying, they don't get it. The context here is pretty clear. Jesus is talking about himself. He is the shepherd of the sheep in this, in this illustration. And the sheep that listen and follow, to, follow his voice, they are his people. The Pharisees, on the other hand, Jesus describes them. He lumps them in a group. He says they're, they're a thief and a robber. It's pretty straightforward what Jesus is saying. But the people, they misunderstand. Look again, verse 6. It says, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Friends, they don't understand what Jesus is saying because they are not part of his flock. Jesus was misunderstood by the people because they are not his sheep. We've seen already, hopefully, that this allegory, this metaphor Jesus is using, it's an indictment against the Pharisees and the way that they lead the people, but he's also calling out the people. Their lack of his understanding Their lack of understanding, it shows that they are not his sheep. But Jesus, he's so kind. 
He could have just shrugged his shoulders, done one of these, been on his merry way. He's already proved his point, but he doesn't do that. Instead, verses 7 to 18, he expands further on the shepherding language, illustrating to a greater degree what it is that he's talking about. Now, I want to point out to you, it would be, it would be easy for us to press this sheep-shepherd metaphor too far. The point here is not to look for hidden meaning but behind every little thing Jesus is saying. But instead, it's to see the larger illustration that Jesus is making. In a passage like this, it's very easy to miss the forest for the trees, sort of in this illustration. So let's focus on the two statements that Jesus repeats twice. Did you catch those two statements? There's two there that he repeats twice in this this metaphor that he's using. In verse 7 and verse 9, we see Jesus saying, I am the door of the sheep. And in verses 11 and 14, what does Jesus say? He says, I am the good shepherd. So when Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep, what is he saying? What is he communicating in this sort of bizarre statement? Well, Jesus is saying that he is the one through whom both sheep and shepherds, that's key, sheep and shepherds must pass if they want to belong to God's fault. Friend, if you desire to be part of the family of God, the only way that this happens is through faith in Jesus Christ. It's by listening and responding to his voice. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I have no idea what his voice sounds like. How how in the world could I respond? Does he talk audibly? I don't know how this works. This doesn't really make any sense to you. Let me help you just a little bit here. This is how he often starts the initial conversation with us. And it's typically not through an audible voice, but it's through an impression of his spirit. You know what he says? In one way or another, he says, follow me. Follow me. The first time Jesus saw Simon, Peter, and Andrew, Mark chapter 1, verse 17, he said, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Luke 18, 22, to the rich young ruler, Jesus says, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. If you sense that Jesus is drawing you to himself and you hear his voice, you sense him saying, follow me. I beg you, do not let his voice go in one ear and out the other. Respond to his voice and follow. Jesus says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. But notice what Jesus doesn't say here. He doesn't promise a long life. He doesn't promise material possessions. He doesn't promise a life of comfort and ease. He doesn't say, I am the door to the life you always wanted. 
That's the role of false shepherds to communicate things like that. I know we have people with us here today who can testify that following Jesus is hard. It's hard not to trust in yourself, but instead to put all your trust in him. It's hard to follow, how about this? It's hard to follow when you don't always know where you're going. I know some of you are experiencing that right now. You're on this path where you you feel like you're, you're following the shepherd's voice, and you're wondering, where are you taking me, Lord? Why am I going through this struggle with my child? Why are things so difficult at work right now? Why is money so tight? You're just wondering, are things ever going to get better? Friend, if that if that's you this morning and you have walked through the door that is Jesus Christ, let me just remind you, it's something that you know, but you need to hear it. There is hope for you. There's hope for you. And I can't, I can't promise you that things are going to get better in your life because Jesus doesn't make that promise. But you know what he does say? He says that we can find rest. We can find life in him. We can find our peace and our strength in him. And I'm, I'm convinced that many people are struggling in their Christian life. They're struggling uh, in a spiritual sense because we've taken our eyes off the shepherd and we've decided that we might listen to his voice. For those of us who have trusted in Christ, we've demonstrated we do know his voice, right? We know his voice. But some of us can be, and I'm putting myself in this category, some of us can be stubborn sheep. We hear his voice as we read his word. We hear his voice through promptings and impressions of the Holy Spirit, but we don't actually follow. We don't obey what the shepherd says. Sure, we might follow him when it's convenient, maybe when we're not too busy. As long as we don't have, as long as I don't have too much going on, Jesus, I'll follow you. But if life gets really busy and crazy, I might have to just sort of hold off for a while. We might follow when it doesn't go against what we want in the moment. Oh, how we sabotage our peace and our contentment when we think this way. The sweetest, hear this church, the sweetest communion we have with the Lord is when we're following him. When we're going in and out, finding pasture, finding rest in him. Look, I I know that some of you here, you're struggling with contentment right now. There are things that you desire, good things that you desire, that God, he just hasn't given you right now. Let me tell you, the shepherd, he becomes all the more precious to his sheep. Jesus becomes all the more precious to us when we're scared and confused. In those moments when we're totally dependent on him, when we don't know what's going to happen next, his voice becomes all the more sweeter. His voice is precious when we're suffering and struggling. Amen. But you have to listen to his voice and his word. We have to be led by his voice as we pray. We have to obey his voice as we hear it. 
And we can trust the voice of our shepherd because unlike all the other false shepherds out there who they tell us to trust in ourselves, they may deceive us and take advantage of us, mistreat us and abuse us, who leave us feeling empty, broken, and just exhausted. Unlike all the false teachers and false belief systems that lead us astray and that don't truly care for us, they seek to use us. Unlike all those things, Jesus is the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And this statement that Jesus makes about being the good shepherd, it is a profound statement. I think sometimes... Those of us who have grown up in church, we're familiar to hearing that, and we know that, Good Shepherd, just, we kind of hear it and move on. But this is, this is a profound statement, and it's dripping with Old Testament imagery. The most obvious, we read it during the call to worship, Psalm 23. Remember how that starts off? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Let me give you just a couple more. I want you to feel the weight in this statement. Isaiah 41, 10 and 11. It says, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. Here it is. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. Not going to read this whole passage for us, but Ezekiel 34 11 to 24, so significant to what Jesus is saying here. I would actually encourage you, go read that later today. It'll shine an even greater light to what Jesus is saying. Ezekiel 34, verses 11 to 24. Just a couple of highlights from that. It says, for this says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Later, it says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Do you you see what Jesus is doing? When he says, I am the good shepherd, there's another one of those I am statements there. But when he says that, he's tying himself to all the Old Testament references to the good shepherd. There's a ton more that I could have shared with you. But you know what Jesus is doing, right? He's claiming divinity. He's claiming to be God incarnate. This is such a powerful thing Jesus is doing. So much depth to that statement, I am the good shepherd. Now, a fair question to ask at this point is, Jesus, what makes you the good shepherd? You claim to be the good shepherd. You tie yourself to Old Testament references. What makes you a good shepherd? Well, I should correct myself. What makes you the good shepherd. Notice he doesn't say, I am a good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. It's one thing to say it, but what makes it true? Here it is. It's in our passage. It says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This, of course, is referring to Jesus's sacrificial death on the cross. He literally will give his life for the sheep. But not only did he give his life for the sheep, he actually became a sheep. The shepherd became a sheep. Remember back John 1, 
John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him. What does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Brothers and sisters, Jesus became like us. He took on flesh and blood. He experienced temptation and betrayal. He had friends who would turn their back on him. He had people call him demon-possessed and foolish multiple times. He was beaten and abused. He was like us in every way, yet without sin. And Jesus was and is the sacrificial lamb that died in the place of his sheep. He laid his life down on his own accord, according to the will of God the Father, because of his immense love for the sheep. And now he reigns forever and ever with all praise, honor, and glory directed to him. Listen, Revelation 5, 13, and 14. See this. I want you to see how the Bible fits together. Sometimes it's like puzzle pieces scatter and you kind of have an idea how things fit. But I refer to the Old Testament. I point you to Revelation so you can see this is one unified story. Revelation 5, 13, and 14. It says that, and this is John writing as well. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. The good shepherd, church, the good shepherd became a sheep. And the good shepherd is creating a new flock. Jesus says here, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is another earth-shattering statement that Jesus is making here. In the Old Testament, particularly in the Psalms, it's ethnic Israel that is referred to as the flock. Well, with this statement, Jesus, he's redefining who it is that belongs to the people of God. The people of God are now brought into the family through him. He is the door. And from now on, they are being led by him and his voice. The relationship between Jesus and his people, it's symbolized as a shepherd with his flock. And really, there are two questions that we have to ask ourselves this morning. Two questions. The first one is, do you know the shepherd? Do you know the shepherd? And if your answer to that question is no, there are a lot of people in this room who would love to introduce you. The truth is, you will be led by something or someone. Something or someone is going to lead you. For many of us, that might be our career. It might be money or pleasure of some kind. False religions, false teachers, they might prove to be the shepherds of some. But there's only one shepherd who gave his life for you. Who was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father that you too might walk in newness of life. Only he will lead, guide, and direct you and never forsake you. Only he can save us from the eternal punishment that we deserve in hell. 
forever separated from the presence of the good shepherd. Friend, do you know the shepherd? Do you know his voice? If the answer is no, we would love to teach you what it means to follow and listen to the shepherd. The second question is this, and this is for the believers in this room. Are you listening to the voice of your shepherd? Are you listening to the voice of your shepherd? Are you following him in what he's calling you to do? And look, I don't want to give you all these different ideas on what he might be calling you to do and plant ideas in your head. But we know the general things that he calls us to, that he calls us to do because we see it in the Bible. We don't have to overcomplicate this. He's called us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. We've already heard this from Christian as he shared in the announcement. He's called us to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. He's called us to do everything we do to the glory of God. And he's called us to come and find rest for our souls. Christian, are you listening? Are you obeying? Are you resting in him? Just like a shepherd names all his sheep, calls them by name to follow him. Jesus calls us and he says, come, follow me. We don't always have to know where we're going as long as we trust who we're following. As long as we know who we're following. As long as we know we're pursuing after Jesus and we're listening to the voice of the shepherd, we can trust where we're going. Because I don't know where we're going to go in this life. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know where you're going to go. We might have plans and intentions, but who knows where exactly the Lord is leading us. But we can have peace because we're following the shepherd. And we know that we will find rest for our souls, both in the craziness of this life and eternally forever and ever and ever. And I, I don't even have this in my notes. I'm just speak from the heart here. When you live in light of eternity, when you really think about how short this life is and how long eternity is, oh, it gives your life such a greater focus and attention. And it's really a beautiful thing. I think for some people it's, it's you know, morbid or it scares you to do that. But when you think about how short this time is and how long we'll be with Jesus, it gives you a greater attention and a greater focus to what he's calling, to, calling you to do. And just being reminded that he is the one worthy of all our trust and all our dependence. He is the good shepherd. Well, church, as we, as we move to a time of taking communion together, I've said it, I don't know how many times, but I'll say it again. Be reminded, Christ, the good shepherd, he gave his life for his sheep. Remember, he's created a new flock through his death and resurrection, and that those who belong to him are led by his voice. As we take the bread and we take the juice, symbolizing the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, be reminded that you belong to him, that your life is not your own. Be strengthened, Christian, as you remember what Jesus has done. Jesus is here. He, he is present with us this morning through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as we take this meal, it will nourish us in our inner soul. Finally, Christian, remember, Jesus is coming back for you. He's coming back for us.
He will gather his flock into the eternal pasture where we will experience everlasting joy, peace, and rest with Christ. Communion is open to all who have placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. If you're here with us and you are not a follower of Jesus, we ask that you refrain from taking part in this service, or this aspect of the service, and you're actually showing us a great deal of respect by holding back here. I also, I want to acknowledge people who are here who are not sure if they're a Christian. Maybe you, you grew up in church or you grew up in a Christian family, but you, you don't have this kind of relationship with Jesus that's described here as one, a relationship with, as a shepherd with his sheep. If you're not sure if you're a Christian, it might be good for you to just take a minute and talk to someone before you, you come forward. Maybe the person who brought you this morning, you could talk with them or somebody that you trust. Anyone you've seen up here at the front would be happy to talk with you. We, we really want you to have a sense of assurance when it comes to your faith. So communion will be served, two areas up here at the front. And as you feel led, make your way forward, receive the bread and the juice, go back to your seat, and then one of our elders, Tad Deckard, is going to come forward and lead us in taking the elements together. So let me pray, and we're going to continue to worship. Father, thank you that you have created a new flock that is led by your son, Jesus. Thank you that you have called your people by name, that before the foundation of the earth, you knew us and you loved us. We pray that you would help us to follow the voice of our shepherd. Help us to follow even when it's difficult and we don't know where we're going. Help us to find our peace in the shepherd's voice. We love you and we desire to follow you. Help us for your glory and our joy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.